Hey folks, welcome to the Adventure Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Mason. Hope you had a good weekend. Hope you got out, you did something that made you proud, that is going to lead you to do something even bigger to where you're going to be a guest on the show one day. That's what I hope for everybody listening, is that you aspire to be a guest on this show one day. And if you think you've done an adventure recently that you're like, you know what, that'd be a good episode, go to our website. We've got a suggest a guest tab, a little form you can fill out. Or if you know somebody that has done something recently that would be really cool to be talked about on the show, go to our website, like I said, and suggest that person or yourself. And uh, we'd love to hear from you. I go through that every once in a while and just see who's applied. And that's where a lot of our guests come from. So please fill that out. And today we are talking to Jeremy Carberry about uh, circumnavigating some Channel Islands, Channel Islands National Park. If you don't know, Channel Islands are these group of islands off the coast of California near LA and super unique. They've had animals that are only, you know, that kind of micro evolved there. Um, There's a lot of amazing features. It's a beautiful place. I've heard incredible things about it. I've actually never been there. I have planned a backpacking trip for someone there one time, funny enough, at the last company I worked with, but I'd never actually been there. But Jeremy's going to tell us about this incredible adventure of circumnavigating one of the islands there, the biggest island, and uh, what that was like, how difficult it was. There's so many challenges with like the surf and the waves and tides and just a storm and everything else. And so uh, there's great white sharks, there's elephant seals, there's just all kinds of challenges. So we're going to talk about this really cool adventure and uh, hear from him and what he does. And uh, he also hosts a podcast called Teeth Podcast. It's a podcast about wild animal attack stories firsthand from the survivors. So, and, and by the way, Jeremy is a wilderness kayak guide and photographer in Channel Islands National Park and a few other places. But he didn't get attacked by an animal on this trip, but his podcast is all about that. So if, you, if you're if you interested in that kind of thing, some of those crazy stories about kind of the things that can go wrong with animal encounters, go check that out. But all right, let's go ahead and jump into the podcast. Jeremy Carberry, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Mason. And uh, it's it's an honor to be here. I've been listening to your show for years. It's a way to live vicariously through a lot of really amazing people doing really amazing things. And it, it scratches an itch a lot for me. I really appreciate what you do. It, you know, hosting a podcast about adventures usually means you don't do as many yourself because you're making the show <laughs> is what I've learned. So I'm I'm living vicariously through a lot of these folks, too. But man, so great to hear. Like, I, I forget people actually listen to the show. You know what I mean? I, I, you put it out there in the world and you're like, oh, yeah. There's people all over the world listening to this. I should probably make sure I don't say something super stupid, which has happened. (laughs) But hey, man, that's adventure, right? That's adventure. You make mistakes. But I wanted to ask, I always ask this first, where are you coming from today? And if that's not home, where is home for you? I'm currently in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I have some family here, but I consider uh, Southern California my home. Oh, sweet. And I, I know you're a guide out there. I mean, I know you've been doing this huge road trip. Tell us about that real quick. I know you were in my neck of the woods for a while. You know, ha- have you ever done a big road trip like this across the country? I'm, I'm sure you have. But if, if not, 
Uh, how has it been? And what, what have you been learning about America? Oh, man, a uh, lot of stuff. <laughs> I've, <laughs> I've drove across the country a few times, but I always thought it would be so amazing to just take a couple weeks and really take my time and stop and visit friends and take things in. And it, it worked out this winter that work slowed down out, out, on, out in California. And I had the time to, to really milk it. And it took me two weeks to get from California to Florida, saw some friends, saw some national parks along the way. And then I spent a couple, about a month and a half in Florida. And now I'm up in Pittsburgh, just kind of taking my time until work picks up again. And um, yeah, it's been really amazing The as far as the people go. It's, I, I don't know, like if you watch the mainstream news, it's all, you know, it's it's one side versus the other. And we're all the same, you know? And it's, if you kind of go and meet the, the quote unquote other side, you're like, they're just like us. They want the exact same things that we do. And it's, it's pretty cool. It's, it's, there's been some culture shocks like, Oh, this is very different than what I'm used to. But then once you get to know those people for the most part, they're super rad and are chill. So that's been really cool. That is, so there's like three or four major themes that I've learned doing like 500 interviews on this show and that you just nailed one of them. And that is people really are the same behind the, the only time people really differ is when it's time to vote. And that can often get a lot of the attention, but at everyone's core, they're basically the same. Like if they're faced with an issue at a personal level, most people respond with it the same way. Like they want to be helpful. They want what's best for the other person. But obviously that doesn't get the spotlight a lot. And, it, you know, we, we're, we're I, th I think we're being forced and, we're trained to look at, like, find those differences when in reality, 95% of who we are is, is kind of the same. Uh, there are obviously bad apples anywhere you go. But man, I've learned that biking around the country and just traveling slower and getting into some of these small towns. Like, man, you know, you, once you get through that, that little bit of layer, that introductory layer, you realize everyone really is just trying to do the same things, enjoy their life, provide for their families. And and get something out of this while they're here on this planet. And it sounds like you're learning that too, or you're realizing that too on this trip. For sure. For sure. So, so how's Pennsylvania going? Pretty good. It's, it's a little chillier here than Florida. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Getting to see family is awesome. I've, I've been going on some short hikes, not too much in the, in the way of wildlife, but you know, every now and then you'll see a white tailed deer or some, a cardinal or blue jay or something like that. So it's cool. Honest review. How did you like Florida and some of the wildlife and some of maybe the wild spaces we have here? Obviously, this is where I was born and raised, and I have a, a very, very deep affinity for it. But what did you think? Oh, I mean, Florida in every way is completely unique. They have these ecosystems you can't find anywhere else in the world. It's the only place where the American alligator and a crocodile live in the same habitat. It's like you don't have to look for the wildlife. You just go outside. You don't even have to go outside. You can look out your window. It's just everywhere, all around you. The 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 bounty of of nature is is amazing. It's I love it. I can attest. We were out west for years, and you can get places with a lot of wildlife, but it can be very similar. You know what I mean? Like you're, it's a, like all elk, as far as the eye can see, or elk and like one type of bird. Here, man, there's like. It's such a vast right of what you might see. Exactly. Looking out your door. Heck, I was at my desk the other day and I was looking out the door and there was a, what was it? A, a white heron out there eating a snake. 
And I was like, holy crap, right in the yard. And then here comes a squirrel and a hawk gets it. And it's just like, <laughs> you never know what you're going to see out the door. Yeah. <laughs> or Florida man. You might see Florida man out there in your yard <laughs> wallering around. You, you just never know around here. So it, it's pretty wild. But, you know, California is definitely and also one of those places that's vastly beautiful. A lot going on. And talk about wild spaces and the, the vastness of them. It's it's. To me, I love I love California for those reasons and, and, and all the beauty you have there. And you do kayak guiding, so t- tell us about a little bit what you do. What, what, what's kind of like your day job there? What what are, what are you doing most of the time? I'm a kayak guide. I've I've guided in La Jolla, which is San Diego and Maui, but my favorite place and the place that I am primarily is the Channel Islands National Park, which is a chain of islands off the coast of California. The closest ones are about. 10 to 20 miles off the coast. So you have to take a ferry to get out there. And what I do is I'll, I'll stay out there and then people will come out to do the kayak tours. And then I take them out where I am in Santa Cruz Island. It's one of the highest concentration of sea caves anywhere in the world. So that's, that's kind of the main attraction is the sea caves, but the wildlife is also absolutely incredible out there. It's, it's one of the healthiest stretches of ocean in the world. So we've got sea lions, bald eagles, osprey, all kinds of fish, all kinds of invertebrates. And I love it. So so you get a lot of people that go from mainland California out to Channel Islands. And while they're out there, they want to do a tour, want to do a kayak trip. Is that is that how it typically works? Yeah, exactly. Sometimes people will come out and, and camp on one of the islands. But most people that come out, they just come out for the day. And, they, and they're doing your trip. So are, are, what are your trips? Day trips? Are you doing overnights at all? What is it typically looking like? The company I work for, they just do day trips. Channel Islands, man. It, you know, it, it, it's wild. It's not far from one of the what, the second largest city in the country, Los Angeles. So it's, it's like right there. It's off the shore, just, you know, basically directly west from LA by, I mean, it's, you know, quite a few miles. It's like 60 miles from LA, but you know, like you said, 20 miles offshore, um, from like Ventura, um, or Santa Barbara. What are some of the things about Channel Islands that make it so special? The Channel Islands, there's almost a hundred species of plants and animals that only live on those islands and nowhere else in the world. One of the more common ones that we see a lot is the Channel Islands fox, which is a, a smaller subspecies of the gray fox. It's a lot smaller and they're they're super adorable and they're actually the apex predator out there and they know it so they're very bold they'll come right up to you and try to steal food and anything that they want that's something that's amazing about that area is all of the unique species that you can see out there historically it's a really interesting chain of islands because it's thought that the first settlers the first human settlers to north america actually hit the channel islands first they probably came along what's the kelp highway from you know what's now russia to alaska and then came down and then when they got to the channel islands probably they said this weather is amazing this is perfect there's plenty of food there's no predators on these islands let's just live here so that's probably what happened and on uh, on santa rosa island the oldest human remains arlington springs man was found Oldest human remains in North America, um, dated at over 14,000 years old, was found. So there's there's some proof to kind of back up that theory that the, the Channel Islands was probably the, the landing point for humans. 
Oh my gosh, that's so cool. And I'm looking up this island fox you're talking about, the smallest, I think I'm reading this right, the smallest canine species in the world. How in the world did they a, a bunch of fox get over on that island? That is insane to think. Like what was was it human involvement or 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 a catalyst from human interaction or was it just isolated somehow? That's a big question that a lot of a lot of uh, biologists are try to answer. The thing that makes the most sense is the the Chumash, which were the Native Americans in that area, actually brought them over in their tamales or their canoes to help kill the mice that were probably eating their grain. That's the leading theory that makes the most sense. I've also read that there's fox remains that are older than the human remains on the island. So we don't really wow, know for that's sure. That's interesting. I'm reading that now. So yeah, a lot of people don't know. When, when Whenever I'm talking to a guest and you're mentioning something, I'm... Uh, I'm looking it up, you know, so it, it's like I'm doing stuff and I'm on the National Park website right now and, and literally seeing the same things you are talking about. There are island fox that dated back to almost 16,000 years ago, remains of island fox. That is amazing. That is absolutely amazing. And well, the, another thing to keep in mind too is the ocean levels were like 400 feet lower back then. Yeah. So the islands were a lot bigger, but also... The distance between mainland California and the islands was much, much smaller, just a few miles, it looks like. And again, I, you know, don't take all this as fact. I'm just reading it and talking about it literally as we speak. But that is so interesting. I've never heard of the island fox. I, I have a degree in biology, so I'm like that. I could talk about that forever, but uh, we want to talk about the adventure on this show. <laughs> so, uh, well, so tell us about like what this adventure you wanted to do. Obviously, as a guide, you're doing... I hear this from other guys. So, you know, t tell me if this is not the case with you is like, you're doing the same things over and over. You're taking the same, you know, different people on the same routes, but you want to scratch that itch of adventure by doing these, maybe doing something a little bit bigger in the area that you're familiar with to, to, to try to, you know, see it from a new perspective and just scratch that itch for adventure for yourself. Is that kind of the reason you wanted to do this, this big adventure or what, what was it for you? Let's take a quick message break and hear from the folks that help make this show possible. If you know me, you know that I love the Florida Wildlife Corridor. What is that exactly? That is a network of contiguous lands that are connected that go all the way from the Everglades up to the Georgia and Alabama line. It's a continuous network of lands that animals use for migration. It encompasses nearly 40% of all of Florida, which equals 18 million acres. The good news is over half of that is already protected through conservation. The bad news is the other half, just under half, is threatened by roads and development. So the time to save this land is now, and that's why Live Wildly is so important. Live Wildly is an initiative to help bring awareness to and help folks take action on helping protect the Florida Wildlife Corridor so that we can ensure that Florida doesn't get totally developed in the coming decades. And Live Wildly's goal is to raise that public awareness to support the conservation of this Florida Wildlife Corridor. Because protecting corridors like this are not just good for the environment, it's crucial for the entire state's economy, local business, and ecotourism. You can follow them by looking up at LiveWildlyFL across all social media platforms. Go to LiveWildly.com for updates and how to enjoy and how to explore the corridor. Or reach out to me if you want to go on one of my paddle trips. I put one together every 8 to 10 weeks, and all of them take place within the Florida Wildlife Corridor. 
And I can't thank them enough for supporting this podcast because it's something that I spend my free time promoting. So thank you so much. And be sure to check out livewildly.com. That is plenty of that for now. Let's get back into the episode. Yeah, definitely. Where we operate our kayak tours within a day, you have about four or five miles, you know, in, in maybe either direction that you can go and explore. So the cool thing is, depending on the weather, depending on the wildlife, we can change up the tour a lot. And we do mostly for my own entertainment. But, you know, if, if it's something that I think is cool, the, the clients are probably going to think it's cool too. So we do get a lot of variety out there on our tours that we do on Santa Cruz Island. But of course, we always want to go and check out other parts of the island or other islands. And it's not super easy to get out to those other islands. So um, me and some other coworkers, um, I've, I've tried to get non-coworkers to go out on these missions with me, and it's it's a hard sell. <laughs> so we, we plan this out, you know, almost a year in advance. Wow. And if we want to be on Santa Rosa Island for a week, we try to clear out two weeks of our schedule because we have to plan it out so far in advance. It's hard to know what the weather's going to do. So we, we planned this out, you know, a year in advance for the two first two weeks of November. And then once it starts getting closer, we start watching the weather. And when we try to pick a window within that two weeks, that looks like it's going to be the least gnarly weather that we can do our trip and come back alive. So where are you going from and to, and what's some of the mileage? Because, you know, I live near the coast and I, I'll be honest, I, I stick to intercoastal waters and kind of some of the, you know, paddling around the mangroves. I'm a little frightened by open ocean paddling and I just have never been able to, I don't know, partner with somebody to to do that. So it's kind of interesting to me. So t- tell us about like the route. What did you do? Where did you go? Yeah. Good point with, with partnering with somebody. I, in my opinion, that's absolutely essential. I know guys that go and paddle around these islands by themselves and I, I give them a lot of uh, flack about it because it's really just stupid. There's so many things that can go wrong. You really need to have a partner. If you're going open ocean kayaking for multiple days out where you're probably not going to see anybody, you need to have a partner that's competent. Where we launched from was called Betcher's Bay. It's on the leeward side of Santa Rosa Island, and there's a pier there. And um, that's where the uh, the horse ranching operation was not that long ago, up until the 90s. And uh, that's where we that's where we land. It's really easy for the ferry to get into that bay because it's on the leeward side. The waves and the and the wind are a lot less over there, typically. And then and then we were just planning on going all the way around and then coming right back to where we started from. All the way around Santa Rosa Island. Yeah. Had you known other people to do this? Was this kind of like a big challenge? Like, tell us about that aspect of it. Yeah, for sure. I know a few people that have done it. Not too many actually try to paddle around it. It's not that it's that huge of an island. I think it's maybe like 50 or 60 square miles. It's more the wind and the waves and the wildlife. And the the two people that I know personally that have done it before, two or three, have all had encounters with great white sharks and or elephant seals. One guy, one guy was bit by an elephant seal. If, if anybody doesn't know what an elephant seal is, I think it's the third biggest pinniped in the world. The males can get thousands of pounds and can also be kind of territorial and aggressive. So I'm kind of thinking about that the whole time I'm out there. <laughs> is there anything for a kayaker to do to 
prepare for some of those interactions or just avoid them at all costs? Yeah, exactly. You're going to be in their home turf. You know, the, the big elephant seals, they love sandy beaches and Santa Rosa, since it's so windy, has a lot of sandy beaches out there. There, there were points of the trip where you would see a sandy beach, but you couldn't actually see the sand because there were so many elephant seals literally just covering every square inch of the beach. If you, so I'm, I'm looking at Google earth imagery right now. And if you zoom in like anywhere around this Island, I've done it like four times now. It is littered with seals. You can see them <laughs> from satellite images. And I imagine wow. I, I'm literally looking at one right now. It's just covered. Like you said, that is really crazy. So I mean, did that cause you to have to paddle longer than you wanted to a lot of days? Or, or was it, was that an issue trying to find places that you could actually camp? Or was it like, hey, let's get on shore and maybe we can get up to a level they can't climb up to? Because it's a really hilly, mountainous island. Yeah, all, all the Channel Islands have a lot of um, elevation change. So yeah, you're looking at you're looking at rocky cliffs where you can't possibly land a kayak with with swell. And then the sandy beaches that you find are usually already claimed. So a lot of times um when I was tired and cold, <laughs> there were not beaches to land on and and it and it it honestly kind of stressed me out and and uh made me want to turn back a lot of times. I'm not really ashamed to say that either. Um, also based on the weather that we got into when we were out there and um, it, cause you don't really know in, in, in me and the two guys I went with, it was our first time paddling around the Island. We had been there before, but not all the way around. So we had maps and we had recommendations of where we would be able to land, but you don't know based on the weather and where those seals are going to be. So it was, it was definitely stressful. Um, the, I think it was maybe the third day we had to land on a beach. We had no other choice that was covered with elephant seals. And um, the other guys had a little more experience with elephant seals on beaches than I did. So they went in first and it was amazing. Those, those animals, they could care less about you. Like as long as you're not going to step on them, they just, they're so big. They don't, they're not afraid of humans at all. It's, it's pretty pretty amazing. As, as long as you're careful to give them their space, they kind of just left you alone. So other than the seals, how about sharks? I mean, that seems like something that I would be afraid of. Great white sharks, that is. And uh, is, is that as big of a problem as, as you thought it was going to be or, or any sort of encounters there? Well, yeah, um, I know you don't mean it as problem, like, like as a problem of the sharks. Obviously, it's their house. You know, we're in their home. It could become a problem for us if we're, you know, if we're in the mistaken for a seal or something. Where I am usually on the islands that I've spent most of my time, there's not as many elephant seals because there's not as many sandy beaches and there's not as many white sharks. And I always tell people that, oh, as long as you're not out on Santa Rosa or San Miguel Island, you're probably not going to run into one. Well, we're on Santa Rosa Island. There's elephant seals literally everywhere. That's their food. And they, they target the bigger seals because there's more fat and food for them. It makes more sense for them to hunt the bigger seals. So um, I, I did not actually see one while I was out there, but the water's murky and the water's deep and they love that, that terrain. And what the way they hunt is they go down real deep and like over 50 or 60 feet down below the surface of the ocean. And then they look up. 
and they look for seals up at the surface and then they shoot up, you know, I'm sure you've seen it on, uh, you know, air jaws and all these shows and they shoot up and then they, they sneak attack the seals. If the seal sees the shark coming, the, usually the seals can outmaneuver the sharks because they can, they can make harder left and right turns and, and outmaneuver. But if the seal, you know, doesn't see the shark, that's kind of their primary hunting technique. So anytime I'm in over 50 or 60 feet of water and can't see the bottom. It's just in the back of my head that there's going to, there are great white sharks underneath me and my kayak looks like a seal and they can shoot up and just smash it. And that happens, you know, that this, um, off the central coast of California that happens. No kidding. So are you trying to stay close to the shore as you paddle around the Island to kind of prevent like the, the, that deep water, uh, momentum they can get it. I don't know if that even makes a difference. You tell me. I don't know either, but I think it does. <laughs> um, so I'm I'm staying I'm staying closer to shore where a shark isn't going to be able to do a sneak attack. You know, just because it makes me feel better. The closer you go to shore, the more the more detailed view you get of the coastline, which is another plus. And the coastline itself kind of blocks some of the wind. We got into a lot of wind out there. We, we were in 40 knot plus wind. So there were sections where I was paddling and not going anywhere for like a half an hour, or an hour. It was, it was kind of ridiculous. And, you know, we kayak every day, like for a li- living. Right, so right. It's not, your job. Those are three reasons to get closer to the shore. Less wind, hopefully no sh- shark sneak attacks and more beautiful views. Um, the bad thing about being close to the shore is that's where waves are breaking. And the rocky coast, you don't know if there's a giant boulder under you that's going to shoot up a wave. So it's kind of a uh, catch-22, you know. Unbelievable, man. Yeah, there's a, there's, it's, this was – what did people think when you said you were going to do this? I mean, obviously, the people that went with you. How many were you – what was it total again? There was three of us total. Three of us, three of you. Uh, any? Did you get any feedback from the other people that do this, or other guides, or people that had your, you know, heard about your idea before you went? Yeah, yeah, we got a lot of feedback. Um, it it would be better to do it in the summertime because uh, the the waves and the wind are a little bit more relaxed for the most part. But um, certain uh, certain sections of the island are closed down in the summer because I thought it was because of elephant seals. It's actually because of the snowy plover nesting. They nest right on the sand. So no, you're not allowed to land on a big portion of the, of the island in the, um, in the summer, even in the winter, there's certain sections of the island you're not allowed to land on, but there's way more options. So really you can only really do it in the late fall and winter. If you want to paddle around and camp along the way. Tell us about some of the times you got out and stopped. I think I saw some pictures of y'all exploring the island, getting out, finding bones and finding shells and all kinds of things. What What is that island like? Oh, it's it's otherworldly. You know, like you said, it's it's not that far from Los Angeles. From I'd say probably half of the islands that you're on at night, you can actually see the glow of Los Angeles from the islands if it's a clear night, you know. So you're, you're very much, you're very much still within range of Los Angeles, but once you get on the backside of the Island, where you're just looking out at the open ocean, it feels like you're a million miles away. And I wanted to hit on something that I kind of, to kind of put stuff into context a little bit in order to find somebody to go with you on one of these journeys. It's, it's pretty difficult. 
And I, from previous excursions, I've learned that you want to you want to invite more than one person because chances are somebody's going to fall off once you get closer to the event. So we actually had four guys planned for this one, and one guy fell off, and we got to go with three. And the first week that we were supposed to be out there, the weather looked even worse, like 50 knot plus winds, really big swell, 15 to 20 foot swell. And it's just, it's pretty much impossible to launch and land kayaks when you have that kind of swell and rocks. So we, we pushed it back a couple of days and then we saw this weather window where we had a couple of days before a storm, a storm was supposed to come in. We were trying to just get to the Northern side of the Island and have the storm to our backs. That was our plan. And it wasn't the best plan because it was still going to be rough conditions. I think we might've been a little overconfident since we're guides and we, you know, spend a lot of time out on, on the ocean in multiple conditions on other islands that are more protected. So one of the reasons why we were out there is we had been planning this for a year. This was our weather window. If we, if we were to try to coordinate our schedules again, it probably wouldn't happen for another year. So not the best weather conditions, but we're out there anyway and and kind of hoping for the best and expecting to get our butts kicked. <laughs> and that seems like it did happen. You got your butts kicked. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> Cuz you're you're you know when you're guiding you're you're leaving from the same area, you know, probably exploring the same land and in the same parts of the water, but anything surprising about the island when you got up on it and explored a little bit? There's just there's just this energy when you're out somewhere and you don't see anybody for a couple of days and every direction you look there's no sign of humans ever you know um, that is euphoric to say the least it's just amazing to answer your question about the storm it, it came right on schedule on our our third day out there about halfway through the trip the wind was the worst thing about the storm um, you could see wind gusts that were, you know, 40, 40 knots, 40 miles per hour, approximately, uh, skimming the surface of the water. And it would just pull up little beads of water really, really fast, like a, like a car driving past you. And they looked like angry spirits. It was really crazy looking. It got to the point that in order to paddle about 10 miles in a day, that would usually take us about an hour and a half, two hours. It was taking us now it was taking us about seven or eight hours to do that same distance. So it was all day and, and, and you can't really take a break because as soon as you stop paddling, that wind's going to start pushing you back. So what we did was we clipped onto these lobster pots, which have these buoys up on top of the surface of the water. And they have a rope that goes down to the trap on the bottom. And we could actually clip our kayaks onto them. And for the most part, as long as we all didn't clip onto the same one, it would hold like an anchor. If we all clipped onto the same one, it would actually drag the trap. That's how strong the wind was. <laughs> so that was kind of like our little break, but those aren't necessarily going to be everywhere. You have to, if you see one, it's like, okay, now's an opportunity to take a break. Let's just clip on here. I would prefer to be landing and taking breaks on land, stretch out and explore um, some of these beautiful canyons that, you know, you'd probably never be able to get to otherwise we only could land at night to sleep. That, that was the only time we could really afford to take the risk of getting bashed up on the rocks and the swell. How was the morale at this point when, when things were really tough? How did y'all, how were y'all doing as a team? Yeah, good question. It was interesting. It really worked out well that whenever somebody was, uh, was kind of having an existential crisis, the other two guys were doing all right. 
we all trust each other. We're able to help each other out. Personally, I had a couple <laughs> breakdowns emotionally <laughs> where I was like, yeah, guys, I don't think we should be trying to go around this island right now. Let's just turn back to the leeward side, you know, that's protected from the wind. And we can have a great, you know, week hanging out on a protected beach. And they were, they were not having it. They were there to conquer. They are both surfers, so they understood the waves a little better than I did. And they kind of got me through it. Each of them also had like, you know, breakdowns about other things. And I was able to be like, that's not really that big of a deal. I think we're going to be okay. So one of the huge advantages of having buddies out there is they can they can help you out and, and, and encourage you whenever things are not going great and you're and you're falling apart emotionally or or otherwise. You mentioned in the notes when you, you shared the story was it was 95% misery worth, it is 95% misery worth 5% of euphoria. Was that how it felt at the time? Was it that bad or was that more of a, I don't know, just a thought? Yeah, it, it, it really did. Um, <laughs> the, the physical misery was not that bad. I'm, I'm pretty used to uh, some pretty insane conditions out there. It was more not knowing what was going to be around the corner and if if we were going to make it and not knowing if we would have somewhere to land that night that was that was most of the misery for me <laughs> the unknown you you also encountered a wave a massive rogue wave it, it, tell us that story let's take a quick message break and hear from the folks that helped make this show possible that is plenty of that for now. Let's get back into the episode. The fifth day, we're on the north side of the island. We thought we would have the wind to our backs. We had the wind to our side, which was, you know, better than better than headwind, which we seem to have headwinds the entire trip up till the fourth day. <laughs> like I said, I'm trying to stay close as possible to the to the island itself. Some about maybe an eighth of a mile to a quarter mile off the coast. And the, the other two guys, they're a little bit further out. I hear one of them yell, outside, outside, which is surfer talk for there's a wave behind us <laughs> out towards the ocean, you know. And I look out and this just absolutely massive wall of water is coming towards us. It looked like something out of a movie, like you don't even, it, my brain was trying to comprehend what I was looking at. And all three of us start paddling towards that wave as hard as we can. It, it had not broken, but it looked like it was going to break. And we're, we're paddling towards it because we want to get over before it breaks. Up until this point in the trip, there were a couple big waves that I had to paddle towards to get over so that they didn't, you know, hit me and wipe me out. Um, whenever you have a bunch of gear in your kayak, your kayak is a lot easier to flip over. <laughs> with all of our food and you know gear so the the wave i'm paddling towards it and usually i'm looking at the other guys you know seeing if they get over the wave and the craziest thing happened i just i just zoned out so much i didn't even see my buddies that were in front of me to see if they made it over the wave i was just mesmerized by this thing coming at me and it just started breaking like in slow motion about 15 or 20 foot high wall of water and if you if you don't know much about waves the size of the wave is only part of the power it's more the period so 
if there's a lot of big waves coming one after another with a couple seconds in between them, they're not going to be as powerful as a wave of that same size that has a lot more time, maybe a couple minutes between it and the other, because it has more time to develop power. And this wave was the only one. It was um, what we call rogue wave, which are super rare. I've seen two rogue waves in my life. And it just had an absolutely insane amount of power. And it broke a little bit in front of me. And there's just this giant 15, 20 foot wall of white water coming right at me. And sometimes you can, if you get your kayak or surfboard lined up right with it, you can either duck under it or get over it. And I just knew a hundred percent, there's no way I'm going to get through this wave. So I have a my paddle on a paddle leash. It's connected to the kayak. I throw that off to my left side because I don't want to get tangled up in that paddle leash whenever that wave hits. And then I just bail on the other side of my kayak, take a big deep breath, which was really helpful because I was getting sloshed around for quite a bit of time after that wave hit me. I wasn't really afraid of the water. I was more afraid of one of the other guys' kayaks in that white water coming towards me and with that amount of force, it could easily crack your neck, your back, and just literally good night nurse right there. And uh, as I kind of put my hands over my head, just big breathe up, got sloshed around for a while, came up and uh, looked around. <laughs> and uh, the, the other guy was also knocked out of his kayak and he tried to paddle through the wall. He was just right up until it hit him and it hit him and it hit him so hard and it held him down for so long. Even with a life jacket, he looked like he was like almost drowned. Like I'd never seen him so disturbed looking, you know, like bloodshot eyes gasping for air. And then somehow the third guy in our group who was the furthest one off the shore was able to barely make it over. So he's still in his kayak. Thank God, because our kayaks are now, about 300, 400 yards towards the island where the rocks and the cliffs are getting pounded by the swell. <laughs> we kind of check in with each other, like, okay, no, you know, broken bones, like definitely, uh, definitely rattled, but we're okay. You know, it's still raining, it's cloudy, it's really windy. We did have, you know, gear on. We had like, you know, a wetsuit or paddle jackets combination of the two but when you get in that water in uh in november that open ocean water it's an arctic current that comes down from alaska that we're that we're feeling you know so it's very cold compared to the temp air temperature the water's very cold so we're thinking like we need to get out of the water we need to get back in our kayaks so we we call to the third guy we call him bigfoot can you go get our kayaks? And he just like looks at us and shakes his head. Yeah, yeah, I can get them. But was not moving, was not paddling. <laughs> and we're like, we'll keep an eye out. If we see another wave coming, we'll yell and let you know so you can get away from it. And he just like shakes his head like, yeah, okay. But is not picking up his paddle to paddle over to get our kayaks for us. Because <laughs> he's in like psychosomatic shock right now, you know? <laughs> so it took him a minute or two to kind of get up the courage to go over there there was a kelp bed right before the rocks that our kayaks kind of stopped on. If they didn't stop on those, that kelp bed, they, they would have got pushed up against the rocks and cracked open. And there goes all of our, you know, living supplies. 
he goes over, he clips onto one of the kayaks and starts paddling out in a, not a, not a giant wave, but another wave. He managed to get over it and he managed to get both of our kayaks <laughs> away from the cliffs and back to us. And the crazy thing was we both had paddle leashes on our kayaks for, you know, something like this that would happen. We also have backup paddles inside of our kayaks, you know, and both of our kayaks, that wave was so powerful. It ripped the paddles off of the paddle leashes. It snapped my paddle in half. Oh my gosh. It's just insane amount of force. So yeah, we, we got back up onto our kayaks and got about a mile and a half away from the shore, the, the, the side of the Island and just took a minute to kind of like recover <laughs> as much as we could. We were looking at the map and we were supposed to, we were supposed to camp maybe about a couple miles past where that happened. And we're looking up ahead of us and there's more waves, you know, breaking a good half a mile off the shore. And we said, you know what? I think we're done. I think we're done with this trip. It's time to just, you know, we're, we'll, we'll, we'll do two days paddling today and get back to the, the leeward side of the island. And uh, so we didn't even camp. We didn't even camp where we were supposed to that night. We said, this, we're done. <laughs> we don't, we're not even going to risk it. And then the whole time paddling back, we were a good mile and a half off that island. We didn't even want to risk another one of those rogue waves getting us. It was, it was way too high of a risk. What did you do from there? So uh, it, was, it was still raining pretty hard that night. So we got back to the leeward side of the island, and they actually have, um, it's, it's maybe like a mile, mile and a half from the, from the dock or the pier. They have these lean-tos, which, which you can put your tent under, and it's, it, they're designed to keep the wind from you know, destroying you while you're trying to sleep. So we went up there, and we, we just claimed some lean-tos and, uh, and set up. And it was, it was amazing having a roof over your head and, and having some protection from the wind for the last night. And then we were supposed to leave the next day. And, uh, fortunately the, uh, it was bizarre. It was like the next day it was sunny and, and calm. <laughs> so the, fortunately the ferry was able to come out and get us. A lot of times what happens is if there's, if there's conditions like that, like there were the day that we got wrecked the ferry, they don't come out. It's, it's too, it's too big of a risk for them. So they just wait until the conditions calm down and they'll come out the next day or whenever they get a weather window. If I didn't have those guys with me, if we didn't have uh, Bigfoot to stay in his kayak, we would have had to swim in through the swell, through the rocks. Our kayaks most definitely would have been destroyed. And we would have had to kind of climb up the cliffs and then hike back in our soaking wet gear, you know, probably about 30 miles with a lot of elevation change. With no supplies. Yeah, sandals or water shoes back to the to the pier. Yeah, it would. I, I don't think we would have died, but very high chance of injury and hypothermia or, you know, it would not have been pretty. It would not, would not have been pleasant. That is wild. Did, did the, did the uh, I don't know, the danger of the trip sink in at that point? I've definitely felt like it was like a second chance at life kind of a situation. I remember the next day, the next night getting back, we got, we got back to Ventura Harbor like around sunset. And, you know, you see all the lights of the buildings and all the lights of the cars. And like, I cried a little bit and I was like, man, I'm like, I'm back part of society like that maybe wouldn't have happened 
it, it, there was a chance that that would not have happened. And it was, it was pretty, uh, it's pretty emotional. I was, I was really grateful to be alive. Unbelievable, man. That is, that is so crazy. So what do you think this taught you? What do you think you would do have done differently? And, uh, yeah, maybe, maybe just take us through some of those takeaways. I would say if I ever do a mission like that, um, I'd be more willing to, uh, not, not go for the goal to, to, to call it, to, to cancel the, the actual goal, which was to go around the Island. We could have just hung out on one of the beaches on the leeward side and had a great time. We wouldn't get to check off. We paddled around the Island, but that's okay. Being present for the experience is more important than actually being able to accomplish the, 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 it's like a check mark on your on your belt or whatever. And I think I don't care about check marks on my belt anymore. I kind of care about staying alive and and staying uninjured so that I can go on the next mission. So what is coming up for you, if you know? Yeah, I definitely want to uh I want to paddle around um all of the islands out there. There's eight of them. I've done a couple so far. Um, some of them are further out, harder to get to. So yeah, I've got, there's probably about five or six guys that also want to, you know, do that. So hopefully we can coordinate our schedules and get out to more of those. And, uh, but even more than paddling around those islands, just being able to show other people these beautiful untouched islands and show them how important these natural spaces are. That's the most rewarding for me. These side missions are just kind of like, you know, they just give me more information, but what, what I really love doing more than anything is, is bringing people out there and showing them around and, and getting them stoked on why they should care about preserving these beautiful natural spaces. Where can uh, people find out more about maybe your next trip or what you do, your day job? And, and also tell us about your podcast, the Teeth Podcast. Yeah, right on. If you're ever in the um, southern central California area, and you want to come out to the Channel Islands, go kayaking. I'm currently employed with the Channel Islands Adventure Company. And uh, you can actually even request me as a guide, Jeremy Carberry. Oh, nice. And I will definitely, definitely give you a good time. You'll see some really amazing stuff. My side project or my main project when I'm not on the island is I interview people who have survived wild animal attacks, try to get the context of what happened beyond whatever the news headline said happened. That's called the Teeth Podcast. If you look up my name, Jeremy Carberry, that's usually the easiest way to find it. What on that show has been maybe, shoot, I don't know, maybe one of the crazier stories, one of the things that surprised you the most, if you could give a little teaser for anybody? Yeah, the uh, the most recent story that I put up is about a guy from Tampa, Florida, who was attacked in the Miyaka River, which is right around you, right? Oh, yeah. He was diving for megalodon shark teeth fossils and an alligator grabbed on to his head and he had his head inside an alligator's jaws underneath the water and it, it ripped off a big portion of his skull and he survived. And the way that he survived and his whole mission, he, he finds these fossilized shark teeth and he sells them to raise money to stop shark finning and save living sharks. And uh, his whole mission is just incredible. So story and everything, I'm, I still can't wrap my, rhyme, my mind around it. Yeah, and I, I think he had some GoPro footage of when it happened. You don't see anything because you're facing forward. But I, I remember, 
I think I know who you're talking about. And I remember that story. And uh, he's a YouTuber. Yeah, that's the guy. Yeah. Unreal, man. So yeah, it, for anyone <laughs> that wants an adventure, my, the Mayaka River, I've paddled that and uh, paddle boarded it. Holy cow, man. It, you want to talk about gators. In a day, you could probably see 300 alligators on that river. Like it's every single turn you make there are massive alligators and there's areas where there's they look like probably like the uh the seals on the beach there in santa rosa island they're just everywhere they're right next to each other hundreds of them i would never dive that river holy cow it's 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 terrifying how many there are yeah and usually it's like you know a tenth of that or you know a twentieth of of that many it's just a high concentration of them right there it's pretty cool though yeah, it's actually illegal to dive that river now because of Jeffrey Himes' attack and a bunch of other people's attacks that have happened there. I believe it. I believe it. I mean, y- y- they're so thick through there that if you're paddling, your paddle will hit a gator somewhere along that river. They're so abundant. The the, the river narrows so much that you'll you'll physically come in contact with an alligator. They're so abundant along there. So I can imagine... I can imagine that being illegal. <laughs> that, that actually does make sense. Well, holy cow. Jeremy, I really appreciate you being on the podcast and, and fighting through some of these uh, Wi-Fi issues and just pushing through. It sounds like one of those days out on the uh, paddle in the island. <laughs> Thanks for cheering me on. <laughs> yeah, man. This is yeah probably, probably a lot less difficult than uh, facing six hours of headwinds and waves uh, and motion sickness, but... Yeah, thank you so much for coming on and telling your story on the Adventure Sports Podcast. Yeah, it's been an honor. I'm a big fan. I love what you're doing and uh, keep going. Dude, yeah, 900 episodes in. Well, uh, no end in sight. So we'll see. We'll see where it goes. First of all, thank you so much for listening. It means the world to us that you choose to listen to this show. If you'd like to help us further, you can leave a review on iTunes, share us with your friends, your family. It goes a long way to grow in the show. You can also support us financially through patreon.com slash adventure sports podcast. Link is in the show notes. And also, if you have an idea of who could be a good guest for the show, we're always looking for people to tell their story uh, about the outdoors or adventure. So if you know someone, please reach out. Email us at info at adventuresportspodcast.com. And until then, get out there and have some fun. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.